everyone, and welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. I'm here with Bridget. Hey, Bridget. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited about introing this episode and many to follow because this sort of kicks off an exciting partnership that we've been working on with San Francisco Running Company, aka SFRC. Yeah, legendary. Legendary. They reached out to us. It's been, it was a total dream for us. I think we had them as a as a goal partnership um, and thought we were probably a little bit away from being able to really pitch them on something. And they came to us with this amazing idea. And it's been so fun. We've mm-hmm. we've have a few of these. This is the first one we're releasing in the podcast stream. But recording live is so fun. Yeah. It is so fun. Um, it's so fun. We are doing a monthly series called Exchanging Experiences with SFRC, where we talk to local runners, where we do what we do here on the podcast, but live. And to kick it off, we talk to, they call him the SFRC uh, boss man, but really sort of the owner of SFRC, the, the man that makes everything possible, Ted Knudsen, getting to know him and his journey into running a little bit better in his background. And it was a great way to to kick things off. And it was just, it was so fun. Like, again, this is something I think we've wanted to do. We also had no idea how to set up any of this. So we worked with folks to make sure we knew what we were, were doing, which we, we still don't. But thank God we have our editor, Brian and uh, Tony DiPasquale, who sort of set this all up for us because we just now show up and get handed the mics and um, they make it as easy for us as possible. And we're doing it monthly. And I look forward to that drive to San Anselmo every month, even though sometimes it takes me two hours. It doesn't matter. I get there and I'm just (laughs) so happy. And there are snacks and just happy people that want to talk about running. And it's the best thing ever. It is the best thing ever. So check, I mean, check out their feed. We'll be sharing invites for the live uh, shows in our feed. And enjoy this episode with Ted Knudsen. Oh, hi. <laughs> This is so exciting. It's our first our first live event, our first time recording any podcast in person. Um, Runners of the Bay started in the pandemic, so and then we just kept going with the virtual. So we're excited to be here. So yeah, welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast, live here with San Francisco Running Company. Thanks for having us. You know, I think as we've been talking to Ted and Halky about this event, one thing that we've been talking about is sort of as Bridget and I conceptualize the podcast. Um, Hi, this is Mimi, by the way. Bad introductions. Um, You know, SFRC has always been a a company and a community that we've we've really admired, Um, you know, starting with attending some of the group runs and getting to know folks in the community. And so when Halki reached out, it was like the manifestation of our dreams because we had been a little too timid to reach out or to to think about doing something. And so we're so just honored and excited to be here and really looking forward to this partnership. So when we say we were excited about this and have looking been looking forward to it, I think that's the understatement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're really pumped to have the honor 
to interview the owner, sole proprietor, <laughs> uh, head honcho, CEO, whatever we want to call it, of SFRC, uh, Mr. Ted Knudsen. Thanks for having us. And we're going to, uh, we have one mic that we're going to share. And so going to make sure, hold me accountable to making sure other people talk. No one wants to hear the sound of my voice this whole time. So Ted, did you run today? <laughs> no, I did not. Oh, okay. Podcast over. <laughs> I can tell you why. Yeah, tell us why. Every other week we have the, uh, the house cleaned at eight o'clock. And so we do our breakfast thing. Amy and I, and uh, it's too early to get the dog on the ridge and be out of the house by eight. So Monday's typically a rest day. And is it one of those things like if it doesn't happen in the morning, it doesn't happen? 100%. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, those afternoon runs, they just, the afternoon evening runs hit very different. Um, so let's go back. What did running sports look like for you as a child? That, that's a good one. Um, so in high school and I graduated in the eighties, just so everybody knows that, um, I played basketball and preseason was fall. That was training. And the coach made us run this kind of, it was off campus was this loop after school. And, uh, at first I didn't like it. And then I got actually a pair of running shoes and then I enjoyed the training more than the basketball. So my senior year, I didn't play. And the coach, one of the best things that ever like a very impressionable thing that an adult said to me at 17 was it was, he was a teacher, Mr. Swanitz. And, um, he said, I, I said, well, I was really getting into triathlons too at that point. So, uh, I said, I want to, I don't want to play basketball, even though I was like on the path to do that. And, um, he said, you can come back whenever you want. And I just kind of like took all the pressure off. And I'm like, great. I, I, you know, leaving on good terms. And, that's stuck with me in my entire life of like, do what you want to do. Because if you don't love doing this, like go do something that you love. Yeah. So you found that you loved the training and running. So what did that look like going forward when you decided to not go back to the team? Were you like, all right, now I'm going to try this running thing. Did you join the cross country team, the track team? Uh, I'd never ran track in high school. Um, my junior year, I did it Santa with back then it was the Santa Barbara half Ironman triathlon. I was about fifth from last. And um, then I started training seriously for that. And the next year I fin I mean, they shortened a little bit, but I, I know I came out of the water like 250th and I passed 200 people on the bike and the run. So I was hooked at that point. Like I had endurance. And if I look back, the endurance bug was early because uh, back when you could do bike-a-thons for schools, I wasn't about raising the most money. I was about doing the most laps. And so I would sit on that 10 speed with, you know, no biking shorts, just like regular shorts for six hours and, and do the most mileage. And that's what I was about. So it is, I would say probably not typical for a high schooler to do a half Ironman. Like that's a lot of training. That's a lot of dedication. So on the bike-a-thon front, I just would like to share that when I was in fourth grade, I got second place in my school's jog-a-thon and people were like, who is this girl? Because she has not like been athletic and I don't know, it foretold things to come. So I knew that I had the endurance bug, but like when you're in high school and there's all of these other things going on, how did you stay focused on, on training, especially, especially when it's three different sports? 
Um, another fortuitous. Uh, so I grew up in Solvang, which is San Inez Valley near Santa Barbara. And it just happened that year that I got really into triathlon. Um, at noon, they had open swim at the pool, like public swim. And the first day I go there, there's this guy just like doing laps. And uh, his name is Magnus Lundqvist. He was the Finnish champ- national champion at long course and European Ironman champion. And he was wintering in Solvay. So he's like, I, he just took me under his wing and I saw a pro training right in front of me. And so I just picked up, I just mimicked what he was doing, but he was like so much faster. But yeah, that, that was just pure luck on my part. Do you think that's where, was it people like him in your life that like sparked the endurance bug? Was that there and then you see them and that gives you like a, a framework or examples of this happening? Like, is it, it's like a kind of a chicken and the egg question. What comes first? I guess I always liked um, longer, harder stuff. Like, I don't know, that's just wired in my brain. Like when I uh, think about a run or a hike or whatever, it's like, oh, how much further can we go? How much faster can we go kind of thing? Not that I'm ever going to win a race or anything, but that's just always been in my uh, mindset for some reason. It was never a sprinter. And I can go back to in um, my sophomore year, I had this weird, uh, it wasn't... um, it was toxoplasmosis is like cat scratch fever. And I lost all, basically all my quick twitch fiber. <laughs> like I used to be really fast and I got mediocre in speed. So I just went to endurance after that. I'm really interested too in this idea of, of like place. So one of obviously runners of the Bay is focused on runners in the Bay area and community. And solving is such an interesting town. Maybe can you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up there and how you found your place in your community and sports there? Um, the, so the San Inez Valley has a little local newspaper still there. And this is like the very like selfish part is every week on Thursday, they would have athlete of the week. I never got that. Never, yes. ever. <laughs> And, and it's, I don't know why it was one of those things. I just felt like it was going to be one of those, like, I got to do something good enough to never got recognized as that. So I think that was one of my like little small town problems, right? Um, Solving is a Danish founded community. I'm half Danish. My dad emigrated in the fifties. Funny enough, there's a mission there. So it's really was founded way before that. But anyways, the Danes will take credit for that. Uh, it's very small townish. Nothing's pa- open past six. You know everybody, and like you still know everybody. Uh, it's funny when you walk into some place. It's like, oh, I went to the high school with that person, or you know, it's just so interconnected. It's it's kind of funny. So now I will say the secret's out. So when I was doing my initial triathlon training, uh, you can ride a bike there for miles and hit like one stop sign. So I had the best cycling, and I had. It, it was just me. And it was this one of the guy named Dan Henry. And there's a road named after him, a bike route. That was it. That was it. And it was a solving century once a year. And then USPS Postal, you know, and Lance Armstrong found the valley. And suddenly that was after I'd already gone, but it was like, it was, it was out. And so all these pro teams started showing up there to do their winter training. But I, I knew about it way before they did. <laughs> before it was cold. We're glad you didn't get caught up in that. But... Um, <laughs> So, you know, post-solving, post-first uh, triathlon, like what did running look like afterwards? Did you focus on running alone or was it more three-sport athlete? 
Uh, so I went to UC San Diego mostly because that's where every triathlete was down in San Diego. And you had yeah, at the Triton pool, it was, you know, Mark Allen, like all the top guys were there every day. I just wasn't fast enough. And then I got the climbing bug, rock climbing bug. And then suddenly running became just fitness to get into the mountains. And that's how I maintained that. And we climbed way too much. Um, but those friendships have lasted, you know, 30, 40 years later, whatever it is now. I'm not quite, almost that long. Um, so that's what I did most through college was climbing, but the running was conditioning for the big mountains. So like climbing the Sierras and climbing Alaska and stuff like that. Well, if there's a Climbers of the Bay podcast out there, you got to get on it. Um, but getting back to the running, you know, ultimately you do start to sign up for some races. Like, did you, in all of the, the training for climbing, like, did you get the itch to be competitive? How did that come about? So once I moved to the Bay Area in 94, dabbled a little bit in triathlon because I was working at Autodesk and there was a lot of, there's several good uh, triathletes there. But then I just kind of like time, it was a time problem and you can't do that much stuff. So I like gravitated towards running and I was going to do a back to four point race was a national park or a seashore. There was a half marathon out there. No, a marathon, sorry, trail marathon. And I thought, oh, that's, I'd run the San Francisco marathon twice. And I was like, this is the next step. And it got canceled because it was weather like this. And then I did uh, in 1995, my first ultra, which was, was my first trail race, which was a point back then, the point race 50K. And uh, I also lived out there, but um, which is now the Headlands 50K turned into that. Uh, but then I was hooked. After that, I never touched the road again. I just stayed on the trails. And so this is, you know, 28 years later, still running trail races. So, How did you know to go straight to like a trail marathon or an ultra? Who's around you that's telling you about these things? Is it a, a feeder from the triathlon community? <laughs> so uh, there was a guy named Bart at Autodesk. He was the head of the help center. And you guys all know about rim to rim to rim. These guys were doing this back in 93, four. Back then it was like super illegal. Still is, but uh, they would be like, you can't shoot. I mean, the Rangers were on you. They knew if there was more than two people. But anyway, these guys were doing that back then. And uh, so we started, uh, you know, some of their runs were on the trail and that was the influence. And then uh, if you go, you know, there was only one real communication method that was Ultra Running Magazine back then. And then stands, you know, run hundreds was the, the de facto. And that was about 90, you know, internet came around about 96, 97 for everybody. So that was the only source of information for where to go on a run. And back then, like cool 50K was just this last weekend. That was paper entry. And by the time I found that paper entry, it was already full, even back then. So uh, that was pre, you know, ultra sign up and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, you had to scan the magazines and get that check in. There was just no other way to do it. As you start to do more of these races, like what, what does racing become about for you? Um, so I've never won a race. I will never win a race. It was never, it was being competitive with myself, but not like ever. I knew I did. I couldn't win. Like, that's just not part of it. It was more like, could I go faster, more efficient or feel better at the end? It just, I just love being out on the trails. I mean, as a kid, started backpacking and Boy Scouts and that kind of stuff. And we have a family cabin up in the Southern Sierra. And like, so that's been a huge, I mean, I was up there when I was like four months old. So I've been up there for 50 years, 53 years straight 
uh, every summer. So like that's, it's in my blood. Like I can't not be in the, in the big mountains. So. so as someone whose partner is an engineer, you're an engineer and did the Ironman stuff. Like, is there a connection there? Like between the engineering mentality, someone who is, has that mindset and the desire to do something that is really hard and long. Not if you're my husband. <laughs> <laughs> He's not that kind of engineer. Um, I think it's just the opposite in my life, especially with the store and my software engineering career and other businesses that I'm involved with. You're never done. Like mm-hmm. nothing is ever complete. And if you go on a long run or finish a race, like you finished it. It's, it's like a task that is done. And it's very, very satisfying when the rest of your life is like never quite complete or there's always a different deadline or feature cut or whatever. Like, it's just very nice to have a completion and you check it off. And I think also it's like, you, you like knowing you've done all this stuff. Like, you know, and I do several races I've done too many times and you guys all know. <laughs> uh, so it's, sometimes it's the challenge. Like the quad dipsy is like a giant chess match and I've only gotten it right twice out of how many times I've run it. So it's, it's definitely a challenge. And then I think the hundred mile races are the, like the pinnacle of execution. Like, can you do it right? And then at some point you get into this, you get into a mindset that's very zen. I mean, zen, I guess is the right word to use there where all that matters is moving, eating, and drinking. And it's like, it's such a simple state. And with how wild our life is, it's like, it's pure. And uh, that's a very, it's a very satisfying moment. And, and it lasts with you for a long time. I think most people in this room can have done something to that distance. And it's like, it's, you can go back and just relive that. It's very painful and it's very long and all that stuff. But there's these moments of just like, okay, that's really good. So neither Bridget nor I have run anything longer than a marathon. Um, Not to say that one day we won't, but one of the things that we love about the marathon is that it is this puzzle, right? Like what you just said, how do you crack it? So my, what I haven't quite cracked is like the Boston marathon, just haven't gotten it right yet. Um, Some other things I feel like I've gotten right. So like, what have you gotten right? And then what surprises you every single time? Like, if you think you've gotten the quad, you said you've got the quad dipsy right twice. Like, what did you think you got right? But then you really didn't get right. How much time we have? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to call my phone. Oh, my watch. Um, so for the quad dipsy, for my skill level, uh, a sub five hour finish is, um, is the right, like it's a time that's, it's a, uh, you know, the, the course record is well under four hours, but sub five means like you really have to put a good effort into doing it. And the first time I did it was my 10th finish. I did like 4.58. And then uh, the second time I did like a 4.49, which that one, it was raining. So I kept cool. Like I just executed every lap to the time that I needed. And it was very, it was very difficult, but I was in the right shape uh, I ate well. The weather was good for me at that time. The trail conditions were good. It was just everything aligned. And I've not come anywhere close to that time since. <laughs> this will be my 25th this year. And it's like, um, it's, yeah. I'm, 
I'm only getting slower and it's just a much harder not to crack. <laughs> uh, I, I wish I could bottle that one, like what training block led, led up to that. That's one of those kind of like, it's the perfect golf game. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you'll have that one great round of golf and you'll chase it for the rest of your life. But you, at least you had one. Mm-hmm. That's the important one. So I think when you have that, when you've had that good race, you can be satisfied and like, I'll, maybe I'll get it back. Maybe I'll do better, but at least you had it. And I think that's really important to know that you were capable of that kind of execution that one time. I think too, like thinking about, you know, we all can have a great training block and then race day can be awful for a variety of reasons. So how do you think about training versus racing is the training and those sort of solo runs, are they just as meaningful as those races? Um, yeah, you always look back when you have that good performance is like, was there's this one or two run long runs typically for the ultra distance before that, where you kind of felt like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, everything's kind of aligning. And there's been other times where you're like, just nothing was good up leading up to that. And you still had a, you know, okay performance, but you were like, you look back and you go, yeah, nothing was an indicator that I should have done well that day. So, um, if I could do, if I knew the answer to that, I'd be a coach and I'd charge a lot of money. <laughs> uh, I think that's just one of those very difficult things. And I, and I think as you, as, as I'm getting older here, you look at these Olympians who are, you know, my example is like you do a Michael Phelps. He's got like 20 gold medals. Like how many people in this room have ever touched a Olympic medal? And then do you even know someone who's been in the Olympics or qualified? Like, it's like the, it's those people that can execute over and over. I mean, that's such a rare, like th- whatever he does to focus that much to win, like that's an amazing thing when it's such a rarefied error. And that's why I think the Olympics is in this kind of off topic, but it's so cool is because you have to perform at that very specific time. It's not like, oh yeah, I had a great game. It's like, no, you have to peak at that moment. And I think that's uh, amazing. So if we look at it, in the ultra world, like at Jim Walmsley, when he executed so, I mean, he didn't finish or he did poorly at several Western states, but then he executed. And on that day, there was nothing going to stop him when he set the course record. And it was like, that's an amazing execution. Like he, he should be the best coach at later because, you know, he knew exactly what to do to lead up to that. So if I had the answer again, I'd be a coach. Off topic, but my favorite Michael Phelps story is apparently when he set the well, I think this was 08 when you set the world record in the, I don't know what the, if it, maybe it was the 50 or the 100 fly. There were um, like, he dove into the pool, but his, or his, the, his goggles filled up with water and he couldn't see, but he knew exactly how many strokes he needed for each lap. And he was just able to execute. And it's like that kind of precision is amazing. So maybe like shifting gears a little bit, we want to talk about SFRC and this incredible community that you've helped cultivate. So you took over in 2019. What drew you to that? You know, coming from a career in tech to then going all in on running. Well, the initial plan wasn't all in. (laughs) (laughs) It'll get you. Yeah. That pandemic thing kind of uh, put a twist in that. Um, I had a successful software company with two other partners. We sold that. I was able to, uh, Brett was moving with Larissa to Colorado, with Strava, and the opportunity was there. And I, you know, I bought the first pair of shoes from Brett. 
uh, use my truck to, you know, if you guys remember that treadmill at the other at Mill Valley, like I, I bought hats out of his back of his car before he even had the place. You know, I was kind of in it from the very beginning. And um, when he approached me, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then it was right in the middle when my dad got really sick and eventually passed away. It was like the deal was off and then it was on. It was like, it was just like, there was too many things happening. Eventually it was on. And my original goal was to be a silent owner because I just wanted to let it, you know, run. But then the pandemic happened and you had to be all in. And uh, we left the other company because of the buyout and all that stuff. So learned a lot uh, when you have no money coming in, you got to cut expenses. You get real smart, real quick about what is not necessary to run the business and what is. And uh, I would say that anybody who complains about paying taxes and the small business support out there, those PPP loans were essential to keeping this place open. So uh, you may have heard people cheating about that stuff, but like for most small businesses, that was crucial. Um, and then about a year and a half ago, I had a hundred percent turnover. So like, right when we thought I was going to get out of this whole thing, then literally everybody went back to work or went back to school or did something else. And that's when McKay, who was my Hoka rep, called me and said, uh, she's like, so what's, uh, what's the, uh, (laughs) this is is my McKay voice. Really, she sent me a text saying, what's the, I'm asking for a friend, what's the, you know, compensation benefits. And I, I just picked up the phone and called her. I'm like, who are you? Who, who's interested? And she's like, it's me. <laughs> and I had to be, yeah. And I had to be like, she's my rep. And I knew her boss. And I was like, is this really going to be cool or not? It was, we worked it out. And so it was uh, fall, September of 21, 21. Um, she started and she's my GM and she keeps this place running for me. So like without her, uh, Amy, my girlfriend in the back there, uh, I think I would have had a breakdown by now or something because uh, I love the community. And I don't, I guess people shouldn't take this completely wrong. Like, I love the stores and I love the community, but there's certain, like I can do everything I need to keep this business running, but like buying shoes is not my favorite thing to do at all. Preseason orders, like if anybody else can do that, which McKay does great at, (laughs) I will pass that off because that's one of those, like you, you can do certain skills, but you just know that there's people that are way better and enjoy it and really get into it. She's one of them. It's not my jam at all. So uh, finding the right people to help you run the business is super key. And having Helky now with the marketing and uh, those types of duties, like events, like that just makes me more creative. And I experienced this way back in my tech days. Um, so I knew, like, I kind of knew, like, I need to not do this certain things because I'm just going to, like, grind myself down. Is um, I was with this startup and it was 2001 and one of the famous dot-com blowups at that time. But anyway, we survived that. But the boss, who was the genius, Robert Winnig, he was the CEO. And he was just like, he had to do all this CEO stuff. And they hired a real CEO. And then he became what he was, just the creative genius. And boom, the product just took off. And it was like, he's the right guy. for. He was the mad scientist. That's what he needs to be. He's not a CEO. 
And so find, identify your strengths. This is life advice, right? And find the people that, <laughs> that are good at what you're not good at and you can be successful with that. So that's how the store, I mean, it is, small business is tough. There's just no, anybody who wants to go open a small business, don't, it's like, it's a great job, but it's going to be the most work you'll ever do in your entire life. So uh, I'm at the stores, both stores every day, not during business hours necessarily, but I'm here every day. So that's just something that like, you'll get a call from the police, like someone left the rack out. Like there's just <laughs> something <laughs> is, you know, it's San Anselmo. So it's luckily no one steals yeah. anything, but uh, me, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's the sale rack. So it was all extra large. Anyway, so it didn't matter. <laughs> Uh, but that's the kind of stuff that just happens all the time or the HVAC dies or you got to put up the floodgate because it's, you know, a flood. It's yeah, it's sending someone and you have to do that. I mean, you just, you, it's always something that seems to be happening, but then you have these great, like the podcast thing and we got packet pickup Friday and, you know, doing aid station on Saturday and then we're helping out with the women's month and, yeah, it's like there's just all these fun things uh, happening. And then, you know, um, Chris, who's here, is, you know, starts the Saturday morning group runs. And it's like the energy from 50 people going on a group run is like, it's it's amazing. And you, you see that whole crowd, crowd go off and you're like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. And then you got Tony here who's like, takes these great pictures. It makes you look good. And, you know, it's just all that stuff, it adds up. And uh, that's when you're really, really happy about it. Uh, but like when you got to pay the HVAC, you know, guy to fix it, like, no, that's the, that's the worst part. I love that answer. Um, and I think, you know, the community that SFRC has is legendary, like beyond Bay Area. This is, I think, a place that runners hear about and you've nailed the retail space, the uniqueness, the nicheness, and that hard to pin down thing that like everybody wants to be a part of, whether you're kind of watching what's happening running up Tam when it's snowing and like getting great content from that. It feels, you get that FOMO. So like, what is the secret to that? Like, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, the short answer is I wish I knew. So <laughs> I was like, yeah. Right. So I, I do know, like, you got to shout out to the original people. So like a Brett and a Jorge, like they started that community way back when trail running was just taken off. We had all the hot runners in Mill Valley. Like Mill Valley was five of the top 10 in Western States were lived in Mill Valley one year. I mean, it was just crazy how much talent and uh, Dylan's back now in Marin, but like, it was just crazy. The, it was a very good timing. Um, you know, why is it called San Francisco running company? Cause they didn't, Brett couldn't open the store originally. Plan B was Mill Valley. So that's why, that's where the store is. Um, so as an example, Kati, who's in the uh, crowd here, you know, they went up on Tam and Jesse uh, on that Friday morning. Everybody knew, everybody, you know, the chat was like, the chatter was high that there, this uh, thing was going to happen. And I knew she was going to start because Jesse always starts like super, super early. We're talking like not even dark 30, like dark, dark 30. <laughs> okay. Um, and I knew she'd take a picture. And I was like, if we can get on our Instagram early, we might have like, it might be good. So I'm literally sitting in a doctor's office with my mom because she's getting hip replacement, getting your blood drawn. And I get the picture in from Jesse and Katya, if we want to, want to, and I post it. And somehow we, I don't know what picked it up, but we were one of the first, whatever. And, and you know, not to knock your guys' photos, but 
they weren't even that good of a photo. <laughs> I mean, compared to like Tony was up. Tony was an hour, hour or two later. Yeah, but anyway, it 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 captured that like magic, right? So two hours later, I get an email from KGO, and then thirty minutes later, I'm on a Zoom call with a D, is it Dion Kim, whatever. So I was on the news, the four and five o'clock news that night because I knew that timing was everything on that photo. And so we had the most likes ever on that photo. You know, like it was just, and I can post what I think is a really great photo and get like, you know, 50 likes on Instagram. It was like, you say, it's, if people can connect, everybody knew it was going to snow on Tim. We had this like fun group shot. You could see the snow um, and it was very relevant. And again, it wasn't, wasn't about the, how good the picture was. It was about, did it capture people's emotions? And that's why the news crew even called me. Like what's, and I, I, on that one, I knew it was like timing too. I instantly called back. We did the quick video. I made sure I had my San Francisco running company (laughs) jacket on. And, uh, I hadn't even showered that morning. It was like, it was just like got in front of the, yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and it was on TV and it was like, it was fun. Uh, it's the second time I've ever been on TV, but the other one was not a very good reason to be on TV. But um, <laughs> um, but that, it was all about timing. So if you can get, and people I think felt that it was a genuine post. And so when, when you're genuine and so back, circle back to this whole thing, if you're genuine and people feel that you're true to what you're trying to show, it, it resonates with people versus the like, hey, look, I did my, you know, the new Garmin watch and I really, you know, it's like they need to do your, there are two social posts a month to brand, you know, like it's so obvious when that happens versus like, this is just a really cool thing that someone did. So. I think that definitely translates into the community. I mean, as you mentioned, there are some incredible athletes that attend that Saturday run. And then there's like people like me (laughs) and, you know, it doesn't matter. And if, you're the slowest person. Like people are going to be cheering for you. People are going to like pound that run, but they'll be waiting for you afterwards. You can go get, you know, food together. It's at Good Earth. Like it's all a community. Or then you have someone who says, hey, I'll run with you like David. And he actually does. Like, and you're like, I'm sorry, I'm so slow. But it's, um, you know, everybody wants you to feel welcome, whether you're bringing up the rear or you know, like seeing how fast you can go. And that's, that's really special when um, it can be intimidating. So the, you know, the barrier to entry can feel really high, but I think that you have cracked the code in terms of how to make it accessible. I'll add to that. So uh, it was about, it was a year and a 15 months ago. So we had a few of the trail sisters kept showing up on Saturday morning, Sarah and Brandy being the two main ones. And I finally, you know, I, and I was having to start every Saturday morning because I didn't have anybody to do it. And um, now Chris does. He's my main man on Saturday mornings. Saturday mornings. <laughs> um, and I saw, and Sarah just lives here in Fairfax. And I had her, you know, I was like, come in late on San Anselmo at, at your closing, let's talk. I was like, how about you guys start once a month the Saturday morning run? Because... Uh, you got this, I mean, they only had like 50 members at the time. She's like, oh, that's great. And now they have like 500 wow. people on the club. So it was like, 
and they have the early start, they have the no drop run, they have like, it was like, okay, let's make this even more inclusive. And then that was a really big uh, incentive to to do that kind of stuff. So that was one of those, like, uh, we can make this a better community uh, just with that one kind of simple addition. And then they enjoy planning their route and they have, sometimes they even do like three routes and all that stuff. But we did, or the original route, original Saturday morning when it was only one distance, but we got a lot of input of like, I'm not into a 14 mile as my first <laughs> trail run. Welcome to SFR. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, originally what the idea was, you started eight because you, someone had to open the store so that, it, you know, they'd do it in two hours. So that's what, that's what, what it was competitive. But now I'd say it's way more relaxed than that. And people are just out there having fun. Uh, there's not that there's not fast people there. It's just everybody kind of finds their groove on that kind of stuff. So I think it's a, it's a really good thing. And, you know, when I say, when I tell other store owners, like at the running event, which is in December or in some other things I've been to, they're like, you have how many? And we're like, yeah. When you have, you know, a lot of group runs are like 10 people for three miles. When we have 50 for you know, nearly half marathon, like that's a, that's a big difference. So now we do, I mean, we will have to be careful at some point. Like if, if we can't get to a hundred, like we'll have to split it up or something because we will start getting noticed on the trails. <laughs> so we got to be, you know, a little careful on that one, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good fun. Uh, and especially like, you know, this Saturday's well with the race coming up, we have to be careful. We have to be mindful of what other events are happening. And, you know, sometimes the weather really brings the, just the super hardcore people out there down to like 10, which was over new year's or whatever. We only had like that one run with about 10 people, but they loved it. You know, they were out there to just have fun in the rain. So. So you mentioned earlier, like one of the things you love about, okay, well, we're going to wrap up, but I don't know if we'll get to this in a few minutes, but one of the things you love about running is just the simplicity of it. And obviously you come from, you know, tech, we've got a lot of tech, we've got, you're selling watches, we're selling super shoes. Like what are your thoughts on all of the technology and running? In four minutes. <laughs> Everything. Oh, five. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll cover a few things. Like once you find a pair of shorts, stick with them because those are like one of the most personal <laughs> pieces of equipment that you can have. Find the right pair of shorts because chafing will ruin your day. Um, know whether you need water. Like, so that's, that's not technical. That's more like you just got to find it and you got to find the right socks. As far as shoes... Um, I'm a Hoka guy. I've been a Hoka guy for 10 years now. It keeps me running. I need the padding. And so I think finding what works for you on the shoe level that doesn't give you blisters. Where's Susan? <laughs> um, and uh, you can try other things, but like if something works for you, don't change it. Like that's the other thing. Um, I think a good watch, like if I've been doing this long enough, gone from like no GPS to now it's it's actually a watch and a GPS. Like I think that really helps so you know where you are distance-wise and elevation. And that really helps as a training guide. I think um, some people just like, oh, I just go and run. You're like, great. You're one of those rare people that can do that. That's fine. Um, as far as you can really, you know, cycling and all that stuff has like, you can get into the grams and all that stuff. I just don't think uh, for the average trail runner, like all that stuff matters. It's, are you comfortable on the long run? And whether you need a hydration pack or handheld or like, that's all a personal preference and the, the trends go here and there. But 
if some if if you're comfortable on the long run, whatever equipment, whatever shoes you're wearing, whatever shorts you're wearing, and stuff, that is the most important. Because at the end, you want to be like, "Wow, that was great! I want to go do that again tomorrow." And we sell sure we have carbon plated shoes and we have all that kind of stuff. But in the end of the day, it's really comes down to how talented. I mean, the talented person you can put clogs on them; they're still going to beat you up the hill. Um, but are you comfortable? And it's really, really important to to be. You know, it shouldn't be a suffer fest except maybe in a really, really long run. But if you're going out for an hour running, it should be, yeah, the first mile might suck. But by the end, you're like, I, I've i never finished a run that I was, you know, upset about. And maybe that first mile was always kind of a horrible thing, but it's like, you just want to finish happy and glad you did it and move on to the next thing for the day. I love that. That's great. So I think we're going to take a question from the audience um, and then we'll wrap up with one final question. So do we have a question? Okay. So the question is, what do you, what's an achievement that you want from your next race? Uh, I'm in UTMB uh, in September. So. um, Take me with you. Yeah. I'm first. You're going to have to wrestle. There's, there's someone in the crowd here that you're going to have to wrestle for that one. (laughs) Um, Running around Mount Blanc is, uh, will be, I was there in Chamonix last August, uh, caught the bug. I mean, I had qualified from when the race was canceled in 2020. So I got grandfathered in, uh, but that'll be a really, really cool adventure to go around there. I'm hoping I take a little less than 40 hours, but it's going to be a grand adventure. That's, that's for sure. That's exciting. All right. We're going to end with some fun rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Okay. Uh, we got it like quick. Okay. Yeah. Favorite place for a long run in the Bay Area? North side of Mount Tam. Um, if you could go on a long run with anyone, they don't have to be a runner. They don't even have to be alive right now. Who would it be? Oh, that's a good one. Um, rapid, rapid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as a person, I, I don't actually have a good answer. I don't have an answer for that one. Sorry. We can come back to it. We can come back. Uh, favorite local race? I think I know the answer. Uh, quad Dipsy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, finish the sentence. When I'm not running, you can find me. In my office or at one of the stores. <laughs> <laughs> okay, final, last, most important question. Burger, burrito, or pizza? Burger. Where are you going? To where to eat the burger? Um, what's the one down the... Uh, the burger place here. Done. Yeah, Phyllis's jumper. I totally blanked on that one. Well, Ted, thank you so much for joining us, for uh, cultivating this community, and for being our guinea pig for our first live podcast guest. It was a great one. We're so grateful. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to this live episode with Ted Knudsen. We typically have these live shows at the San Anselmo location of San Francisco Running Company on the fourth Wednesday of every month. They are posted on SFRC's Instagram. We post them on ours. They're a great experience. They're so much fun. Again, there are snacks, just cool people hanging out. So would love if you would stop by. Also, SFRC is always doing cool things. They're always having events, their stores. 
check out their Saturday runs. Um, you're going to find someone who will run with you at every level. If you do, uh, you know, separate from the pack a bit, then people wait for you at the end. You go out, you have a bite to eat. It's such a wonderful and lovely community. And we are just so grateful to be part of it. As always, you can find us at Runners of the Bay on Instagram and on Twitter. Send us an email, runnersofthebay at gmail.com. And if you like what you're hearing, please, please subscribe on Apple iTunes or I guess Apple Podcasts, excuse me, and on Spotify. And if you would be so kind, leave a rating and review. Thanks so much. And we will talk to you soon.